0: Bad calls, dirty slashing, we expect a little bull on the ice. But you know when we can't stand it? When we're tracking packages. Looking up tracking numbers, shipping statuses that never get updated. We call bullshit. So we got Route. It's the free app that tracks everything you order online in one place. Route sends us real-time tracking updates, or we can pop into the app to see where our stuff is on an actual map. Download the Route app in the App Store or Google Play, or head to ROUTE.com to learn more. No bullshit, just great tracking.
1: You're listening to an LA Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit LAKings.com slash podcast.
0: You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the LA Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. When it comes to a starting lineup, everybody loves the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare that the pros love, LA Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best selling skincare and shave products, plus a full size Intense Therapy Lip Balm SPF 25 in Natural Mint. Here's to the winning combination of the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code Team JB, while supplies last. Welcome back, Kings fans. I'm Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. We're going to be serving you up a sample platter of our LA Kings content on this episode. First up, Jack Jablonski spoke to former member of the Ontario Reign and tour, Paul Bizanet on Trading Jabs, which can be found at lakings.com or on the LA Kings YouTube channel. After that, we'll bring you an excerpt from Jared Schaffrin and Josh Schaefer's conversation with Alex Turcott from The Reign Check. And that's at about 32 minutes. Finally, you'll hear Jim Fox's thoughts on the Brennan Lemieux incident between the 40 and 41 minute mark from the latest episode of his podcast, On the Sly with Jim Fox. The rain check and on the sly can both be found at lakings.com/slash podcast or anywhere else you get your podcasts. And we hope you enjoy all of them.
2: Welcome back to another episode of Trade and Jabs Edition. Uh joining me is former NHLer, uh co-host of the Barstool Spit and Chickleth podcast, and Wayne Gretzky's left-hand man on TNT, Paul Bissonnette. Biz, how you doing?
3: What's shaking? I love coming on these podcasts because I always get intros and I get my tires pumped. Although, <laughs> Wayne O's left-hand man, as much as it maybe in some cases doesn't sound like a tire pump, it is because he's the GOAT, and the fact that I get to work next to him is <laughs> insane, and it's a dreamland at this point, man.
2: Well, you know, let's dig into that one before we get into some Kings talk, man. What is it like, you know, not only like learning, you know, from Gretzky, you know, maybe, you know, in in the games while you guys are watching it together before you're on the air. uh, What has the experience been like with Wayne Gretzky, uh, you know, on the panel?
3: Well, that's, I mean, that's why I said, I mean, if there's one guy, I'll be a Robin to the (laughs) And it's, it's Wayne Owen. Although he hasn't been here the last couple of weeks because they're saving him for the games on the back half of the season when, when things ramp up and during playoff time. Just, I mean, it, it's surreal because it, you never expect somebody who is that good at any sport and, and have the, the, the aura about them to be as just normal and down to earth as he is. And he's exactly that. I mean, there's a reason why they call him the great one. His storytelling ability, his memory is second to none. He can retell all these amazing stories from the past. So in the midst of watching games with him at TNT, he's telling stories from his, you know, that he's experienced and you're left kind of just jaw dropped all the time and every time. So as I said, man, it, it doesn't make any sense that I, you know, with my career trajectory and <laughs> his uh, in the, on the media side of things, but I'm forever grateful. I will never, never take a, a day for granted and, uh, and, and he's the man.
2: Well, uh, uh, different game styles uh, when you guys play in the NHL, much different, but uh, yeah, congrats on, on working your way up to the, <laughs> to the same panel as him.
3: Thanks,
4: um, man.
2: Well, Yeah, there you go. Uh, well, you know, you've obviously had a chance to to cover the Kings. Uh, I believe they've been on TNT multiple times uh, as you've been on the, the panel. Yeah. With your expectations of, of the Kings going into the season and from what you've seen so far, what do you make of their first 25 games?
3: Okay, so I had them not making the playoffs in the Pacific. I know that there was big anticipation. Sorry, I misspoke there. Uh, There was a lot of, um, oh, God, Jesus Christ. It's late here, pal. There was a lot of uh, pressure coming into the season for them and expectations to make the playoffs. Uh, Doughty talked about it um, in kind of, the the timeline for this core group running out, although they do have some nice young blood. Then Byfield goes down, and then the Dowdy injury, and I wrote them off completely. I have been very impressed with the way that they've handled themselves through these injuries, although given the strength of the Central, I would imagine that there's five teams coming out of there and only three in the Pacific. I still don't think they make the playoffs, but a lot better than I had originally anticipated.
2: Well, you mentioned Dowdy and he missed 16 games with the uh, tibial plateau contusion. Um, say that one back to me, Biz. And, you know, he's back now. He's healthy. He he joined the Kings uh, against the Ducks this past week. Um, there's been a lot of talk with him, not only to to improve the Kings and to, um, you know, get those bodies in, which the Kings did over this, uh, this last off season, but he's also been very vocal about wanting to be on Team Canada and making that roster. Does a healthy Drew Doughty make Team Canada in Paul Bissonnette's mind?
3: I like I, I've talked to numerous people about this. Like I think that Armstrong has one of the toughest jobs in hockey, the easiest and toughest in, in, in the same breath. Yeah. Right? It's like you have all this pedigree of unbelievable talent, yet the <laughs> expectation to win, and sometimes you 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 can overthink it. I love Doughty because it seems like when the moment gets bigger that's when he really comes out of his shell and i just kind of respect his laid back attitude and you know that if he enters that team canada locker room everybody in that locker room is not only looking at him as a peer if not this you know a future hall of famer this guy's won yeah. two stanley cups he's played how many games he still at his age is able to 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 be a great two way defenseman in the nhl and i personally I don't know what the list would be, but if it came down to him and a young guy where I thought they both both brought the same amount on the ice, 100% I'm taking him. And even mm-hmm. if you think that young guy might even be a little bit better, I still would take Drew Doughty just based on experience. Because I feel like when you get to that moment, a moment that he's been not only in Stanley Cup finals, but at the Olympics as well, he, he, he just he fits right in and he's not going to have those nerves and there aren't going to be those questions of like wow you know what am i going to do in this moment because i don't know what to expect so yes i would put him on team canada that's if in this short amount of time till they pick the roster he's mm-hmm. able to pick up right where he left off off of this injury and get up to the caliber of play that we're used to seeing from drew dowdy so i know that was a long-winded answer but it's also not the easiest answer when you have the type of talent pool that team Canada had. And the same goes for like, I don't think people had JT Jonathan Tavares on their roster. Crazy. And all of a sudden, because he's the type of guy that I would trust as a fourth line center, because I don't think he has a very flashy game. I think he's a great two way center that adds intangibles. And, and if called upon, he can maybe bump a little bit up the roster. So, I think that with your question about Doughty, I think that there's probably about eight more questions like that for for Armstrong to have to ask himself.
0: Yeah,
2: like you said, easiest yet toughest it, it's you know it is the Olympics, but again, like, as you know it's it's so hard to fathom you know guys with that pedigree playing you know eight to 12 minutes a game no matter what position they're in.
3: <laughs> oh the, hey Jack, so that's another thing too is you don't know how these guys who so I, I'm gonna speak from experience. I went from a guy. Where I was, uh, you know, a defenseman in the ECHL. Even when I was in the American League as a defenseman, I was playing like 15 minutes a game. Let's be <laughs> let's be generous and say 15. But all of a sudden, you go to the NHL, and, and I'm playing five. It is so much different and harder to get into a rhythm of the game. And when you take these guys, let's use Drew Doughty as an example. Thomas Cobber, he was playing in Toronto. He was playing between probably 25 and 30 minutes a night. Uh, was unbelievable. All of a sudden, Boston trades for him, and then he went down from playing about 15 to 20 minutes, and he was invisible the year they won the Cup. And sometimes when you take these players who are used to playing 20, 22 minutes as a forward, and then all of a sudden you give them 10, they don't know what to do themselves. They mm-hmm. don't get in the rhythm of the game. They're not getting their touches. They're not playing with other players of their caliber where they have to take an approach where they're being a lot more safe with the puck. And, and, uh, and, you know, and the risk-to-reward risk ratio changes. So it is it is a different beast, and, and and I'm a guy who lived it. And I'll tell you right now, you go from all of a sudden being able to make plays to a guy who's hoping just not to make a mistake so he can get his next shift.
2: Fair, fair. Well, uh, you know, from Dowdy to, to Kovacar and a guy that isn't going to have his minutes slashed uh, no. with the Kings and or Team Slovenia when they hit the Olympics. Yeah. Um, you, know, you spent five years with, with the Phoenix Coyotes and you've spent your fair share um, seeing Kopitar do his thing, whether it mainly was from the bench but also up from the ice level as well. Um, you know, what makes Anze Kopitar so good right now? I,
3: I just think it's wild how you can rely on a guy for so long in mm-hmm. so many aspects of the game. And just to play as strong defensively as he's able to, and shut down other teams' top lines, but also produce points. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, I don't understand the cardio, cardiovascular, cardiovascular element. I don't understand the skill element. Um, just like I said, he, he, he can do it all. And, and really, like, there's only, I would probably say, about 10 guys in the league, maybe even five guys in the league that can play as well defensively, but still – maintain that integrity offensively as anze kopitar and on top of that best guy ever never heard one bad thing about him he's loved by his teammates he's a competitor and a proven winner so i don't know what else you can ask for and then most and then the other thing is well you know age well look at him now he's even last year the year before that i think it was what he's three three years removed from from winning a selkie yeah. When he, when he had close to a hundred points. And it's it's just the fact that he's still doing it to the level he's doing at his age is is banana lands. The, the league keeps keeps getting younger and he keeps getting older and he keeps dominating. So I don't know. It doesn't make sense. It's like rocket Scientology, Jack.
2: Well, <laughs> well, you talk about that old to young, and you know, you spent, I believe, a year and a half playing with Brett Sutter uh in Ontario, and he's obviously a veteran, a very a savvy veteran to say the least in Ontario with uh, with a lot of the the Kings young prospects and you know it's it's no secret that we know that the Kings have a deep prospect pool that's extremely talented and has a bright future what does a guy like Brett Sutter do for you know that group of people in Ontario as they're trying to not only develop their game and learn the professional life but also gain that confidence from a guy that can show them the way
3: okay so um the i mentioned the league keeps getting younger and younger and it's like there's this pressure to 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 you know develop them and and yeah forward and all of a sudden if they're 22 and they're not stars in the nhl it's like ah, ship them off i i love the way that the kings develop their prospects i spent some time there and and he i mean he's a guy who's obviously had tons of experience but he plays the game the right way and Sometimes the skill development of some of these prospects is is so high, but yet their understanding for positioning and, and, and obviously the pro game is a lot different from junior or college, wherever they're coming from. And I just think help having those types of savvy vets around just helps take the pressure off the coach to have to teach these guys accountability, positioning. So on and so forth, and when the coach doesn't have the eyes on him, a guy, a guy like Sutter can go up to him and say, "Hey, listen, here's what I'm thinking here, and I'm seeing from you." And and also, the coach's voice might be wearing on you, where you might be sick of even hearing them. So having these having these veterans around the locker room that I ha- I was able to, to 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 have, you know, I mean, when I played in the American League, I think there was like five or six guys that could have over a certain amount of games, and I think over the course of the years, it's gone down, but. Going back to him, he's he's the type of guy that you need in your locker room. We had him there, and he was awesome as a veteran. And he's just going to rub off on these young guys in order to add these little tools in order to get to that next level. They they could be they could be like tools that are that are this important. But as you add them up, like that little wall play, that you know that back check here, the you know late in the game, and you're at the offensive blue line, and you want to expose that defenseman who you think you got, but you know, you're just going to make that smart play and put it in, you know, in the corner below the goal line and go work for it there to eat clock. Like those are little things that he's going to kind of teach you along the way that, that can really be beneficial to winning at the national hockey league level.
2: Uh, well, in your experience with uh, the, the rain and obviously Manchester, when you won the Calder cup um, I'll give you the chance to take a little bit of credit here. Was there anyone that, you know, you were able to kind of take under your wing and help you know prepare for the NHL as they were, you know, working their way up the ranks.
3: No, Jack, I was just there to protect them and make sure they put the puck in the back of the net. And they, and they did it, buddy. It was unbelievable. I had such a great time there. So unfortunately Sutter, we were just talking about, he wasn't there. He came on when uh, we joined the rain, but yeah, we had such a loaded squad. And, and, you know, when Stutzy brought me in, it was more to just kind of keep the guys light in the locker room, make sure they were protected and yeah, just kind of you know, you know, add, add a little bit of glue, you know, be a be a glue guy in there. So for uh, sure, and and also like comp- like the stutter comparison, like he was all he played, you know, 15, 20 minutes a game. I was still in some cases a healthy scratch, and in most nights playing, you know, maybe five six seven minutes. So um, yeah. I, I, First of all, I wouldn't be taking any advice from me, and second of all, I don't think I gave one ounce of it when I was there. <laughs> but, um,
2: you did so on two torn ACLs, did you not?
3: So I, when I was at the rain, I yeah, I retired on two torn ACLs. I Jack, honest to God, this game has gotten so fast over the course. Like even from when I started pro to when I finished it, it just became a. You know, I can't keep up. I don't know what's in the water, but these kids are just skating at a different pace than when I broke in the league. And it's so good for the game, but that's kind of what what did it. All the injuries started piling up, just trying to keep up at the pace of the game. So as much as it was good for good for people watching it in the entertainment aspect, it wasn't good for my knees.
2: Fair, fair. Well, uh, you know, you obviously were known for using your fists in the game, and, and that was a, a huge part of, you know, your you know, accountability, but also just your worth on a team. You know, the game has changed in a lot of ways since you've hung it up. Do you like the direction that, you know, the NHL has gone with, you know, maybe getting, you know, rid of the fighting a little bit, but still keeping it in the game?
3: I think that, I think the game does lack a, a tiny bit of passion over the course, maybe of the the first half to three quarters of the season. And I understand mm-hmm. a 82 game schedule, I think that – I think there's a happy median that we're around right now where obviously fighting is still legal. I, do, I never think they should get rid of it, and it's God, obviously God. backed up, although last year numbers were up, but that's because they were in the bubble and they were all playing each other like 20. Yeah,
4: the good, Battle good of
3: Alberta, they, I think they played each other 10 times, Jack. I mean, you, you might even have the wives' lounges going at it at that point. <laughs> but – uh but, no, I, I think we're at a happy balance. And and, and just going back to my – I just think that sometimes the regular season games have a little bit of lack of passion just because maybe you got a little less meat on the bottom of it, right? Because sometimes those type of guys suck you into the – they suck you into the fight. You might have a boring yeah. Monday nighter, but all of a sudden, you know, one guy makes a move and there's, you know, knuckles being thrown. And next thing you know, you got a barn burner on your hand. So I'm a little bit old school in the mentality that I like that aspect of the game. What, what I'm okay not seeing though jack is is um is the guys like off the draw like just scripted okay. stuff scripted stuff where it's like hey yeah this is kind of we're the two meatheads in the lineup we going out tonight okay awesome let's put on a show for these guys and then we're gonna be our night will be over yeah no, I, I, I think that that it's okay that that stuff's done I, I really I really enjoy the organic dislike for for one another on the ice I don't like the tummy sticks though jack. That's one thing that j- drives me absolutely banana lands is when these guys are are being too much chum chum buddy buddy in warm-ups. Okay. If you want to go say hi to your buddy on the other team and 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 have a conversation. Do it after the game in the hallway. I yeah. don't I don't like the pregame tummy sticks, as I call it. That's mm-hmm. one thing. Like if if I saw a buddy from the nether team that I had no animosity with, I might smirk at them in warm-up and kind of like laugh and, Hey, I'll talk to you after, but I would never be caught dead having like a full blown, like, Hey man, how you doing? No, save it for afterward. You're, you know, you, you're, you're supposed to compete for your squad here. There's no Fair. friend out there.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I'm on board with that. Um, you know, let's go back to those, you know, Manchester slash Ontario days. You know, what, what's maybe your best story from, from your time with the rain or the Monarchs? That that we can talk about on. The I would
3: the probably public. say just in Manchester specifically how we would play the three and three and threes. We'd always have the day off. How slosh some of these young guys would get on on the on the days off in Manchester. But uh, Stutzy would always have bag skates on the, after the day off. So guys knew that they were going to be able to sweat it out. And you knew you'd have a hard practice. But I don't remember that that many guys getting that sloshed on on sunday nights ever in, in my AHL career you'd always have like maybe one or two or a few guys it, it seemed like the whole team was running at that point even the, even the, some of the leadership leadership group was going out getting sloshed
2: uh, well hey it brought you guys a championship so it whatever did. it takes yes, right yes it
3: did yes it did uh,
2: yeah here we'll wrap it up here with uh, a few uh, whether it may be trivia questions or or quick Quick hits okay. here. Uh, do you know how many penalty minutes you had in your career?
3: No, I wasn't a dumb player though, Jack. I didn't. I no, wasn't a yeah. liability. I, I wasn't a liability. So the only the only pims that would rack up were the fives. And are you yeah. seeing throughout junior and everything, or just no, 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 no?
2: That's too that's too much math for you and I to add up. That <laughs> uh, we're sticking with the NHL here. <laughs> Take a guess.
3: How much do I have to come within off the top of my head to 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 be in the ballpark? 50.
2: I'll give you a, I'll give you a plus take like fifty. I'll
3: say uh, I'll say four hundred penalty minutes.
2: Oh, you're just on the outside three forty.
3: Ah! <laughs> God, I couldn't um, even average uh, just under hundred a season for crying out loud. That's how soft I got. <laughs> yeah. hey but you, uh, that just you, shows the fighting my first year jack yeah. i think I, I, I fought uh uh 19 times and then by my last year i i, I couldn't even find anyone to fight me they were like yeah, no we'd rather ha- we'd rather keep you on the ice and I said, he, okay, no.
2: which is a, a dangerous thing to ask um
0: <laughs>
2: well
3: okay yeah we'll go I'm back like, to that damn fighting. it yeah. oh, damn it here we'll comes another
2: minus yeah exactly the last thing anyone needs um uh again back to the fighting topic this i think is a, a ridiculous stat given you know the era that you were playing in do you know how many or take a guess on how many preseason fights you got in
3: um in my five years i'd probably say 12 16 okay yeah <laughs> well, impressive but that's a guy who's that's a guy who's coming in and try to make a team every year yeah Exactly. And, and luckily I did. <laughs> yeah, you you made it long enough. To hey, get yourself- so speaking speaking of the Kings, uh yeah. Nolan, Nolan in a preseason game ends okay. up for, flooring Radoslav Klesla. Lays him out. Klesi had his head down, but I gotta stick up for my teammate. I'm on the bench. I'm fuming. He and uh Nolan ends up getting two minutes. Okay. So Whatever. We kill the penalty and he's coming out of the penalty box. And Max Domi, who was in his first NHL training camp, was one of the killers. So he was on an extended shift. My legs over the board because I told my I'm, I'm like, coach, we're up next. He's on mm. and he, he's coming out of the box. So as he comes out the box, I'm waiting for Domi to change and I lock eyes with him and I see him. He's skating to the bench, skating to the, be- skating to the bench. I'm like, perfect. He's close enough. Now I can go. Well, as soon as uh, Nolan got out of the box, one of the guys must have went over, and a scrum kind of ensues. So after I see that Domi's locked eyes and is facing and skating towards the bench, and he's close, I then jump off and go. I try to go after Nolan. I couldn't really get to him, but mainly into. All of a sudden, the rest like, you're gone, leaving the bench to scrap. And I'm like, what the? And I'm looking around, and Domi was on the ice, and I'm like, so he must have seen it and and, and turned around and uh. line." But I got 10 game sussy. 71, dollars fine. Wow, that's big money for you too at that time. So you think I'm <laughs> losing my mind. So I'm like, I want to appeal it. I want to appeal it. They go back, take a look at it after what we said. They they they, they end up changing it to three games. I could have right. appealed it, but I but if you appeal it and lose, it could go back the other way. I said, fine, I'll take the three games. So that's uh a lot. Yeah, yeah. So I just figured I'd shout out that King story and in, in the midst of all this fighting talk, it's still yeah. ended up, still ended up costing me eleven grand, Jack. That's better than seventy one. That's a but, kick uh, in, that's a kick in the d- as they say. <laughs> I don't know if uh, you we'll, edit we'll, out the swear words in this, but uh, we, that's a kick a kick in the cajones. All right, there. That's a little better,
2: I think. Uh, do all right. So we got sixteen preseason fights, uh, give or take five. For the right answer, how many regular season slash postseason fights did you do, did you get into? Oh
3: my goodness! I know it's. I guess it's I mean, good it's... that I'm not some some dude hockey DB in my stats. Um, <laughs> yeah. I would say career fights ah uh, forty,
2: uh, fifty three. Okay, all right. So again, um, I mean team player.
3: You, you mentioned playoff scraps. I'll give you another loser moment from Biz. Yes. Um, I'm as I'm as nervous as anything. My uh, first ever playoff game in Chicago, United Center, twenty-one thousand. I think we have, we had home ice advantage because we finished ahead of them in the standings because we won our division. But they had a gun. that was a heck
2: that was a hell of a playoff series too.
3: Hell of a, yeah, ended up going to six. That was when Smitty got hit by Shaw. That was the uh, Rafi Torres hit Hosa. Fifteen game sussy. It was madness. <laughs> So I'm in game three or four. I think it's game three. Uh, and my first shift, I go over the board, whistle, offside, real quick. So it's like, okay, whatever. I got, you know, i I was out there for one second. They throw Bowen out there. Keep in mind, I'm nervous as top. we get in the scrap. He pulls my jersey over my head. I forgot to do my tie down. I get chucked out oh, of the game. No. My first playoff game that year, my second ever playoff game. That's like your only job too. <laughs> one second of ice time <laughs> in that playoff game, right before they blew the 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 whistle for the offside. So that was my one playoff scrap. And it was against Brandon Bolig. That's so, amazing. Uh, yeah. So kids listening, uh, don't be a loser like me. Work on your skills. And the next thing you know, you'll be Jack Hughes signing for eight times eight.
2: There you go. Um,
3: well, I mean, while we're on
2: this, you know, the, the heftier side of the game, you know, who do you have as your maybe top three fighters or enforcers in the NHL right now?
3: Um, I, I had a top five list uh, pretty recently. I put yep. Chara on it just because he's just a, he's a mutant. Like, he's like Goro from Mortal Kombat, where <laughs> he's got a top five. Um, I would say Luch,
4: mm-hmm. Delorier
3: from uh, Anaheim you guys know McDermott
2: yeah, we're, we're well aware of McDermott I,
3: I got to see him <laughs> there were some guys in the minors that fought him I, I honestly wanted to write write them my like Christmas cards I felt so bad for him because he's an absolute killer and I would probably unless I'm forgetting some oh uh Ryan Reeves there you go. I was I was waiting and, for that answer. And and, and and then you could probably throw uh you could probably throw Wilson and Martin in all that mix there. Whoever yeah. wants to intertwine. So there's seven guys I just mentioned. But other than that, I don't. There's definitely some young guys who are up and coming and, and willing. Um yeah. was, well,
2: first one that comes to my mind would be uh, a guy who's been in the news recently. Would be Brendan Lemieux, who who can throw him and, and has that power forward game.
3: He's uh yeah, he's you know, he's has to get under opponent's skin. I think he's most valuable when he's being that guy. We saw the incident. He just ended up getting uh what Five. do you got? Five games. I didn't, I mean, if yeah, I mean I don't think Brady's making it up. I think that uh sometimes when you're in the midst of a battle and you've been out there for a minute and you're you're winded, and all of a sudden, I don't I didn't see the actual bite. But when somebody's hand covers your mouth and you're you sucking air, your sometimes your natural reaction is just to like bite down so you can get your wind, you you can have the airways back. And I'll even speak uh, to an incident that I talked about on the Spit and Checkles podcast that just came out on uh, what was it Tuesday? Yeah. Um, when I was in uh, Tucson with the uh, when I was in Tucson playing against the Roadrunners, I was with the rain. I was at the bottom of a pile, and Eric Selleck. Somehow got his finger in my mouth. Now, I don't know what it was doing there, but I bit down. And all I heard was, ah! And the next thing you know, my bridge broke. And I Ooh. lost all – yeah, because I got a bridge on, on my fake teeth. So, you know, I'm skating back to the penalty box. And he's losing his mind. And I'm saying, yo – your your fingers in my mouth, man. I don't know what your yeah. fingers doing there. And my natural reaction when my wires are crossed and I'm out of breath on the bottom of a pile is I don't want to get fish hooked. I know the best play here is to bite your finger so you get your your finger out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. So I, I I I felt bad about it, but being in that situation, I I kind of understand if 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 that was the reason where why he was doing it because he needed the oxygen. Sure. If he was just being himself and being a rat, then well, there, five games keep the change and 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 a fine probably similar to the one I got for leaving the bench.
2: I'm sure it's just eleven grand. Um, uh, All right, and then uh, well, here we'll finish this off with.
3: uh, Hey, Jack. Hey, a human's mouth is dirtier than a dog's mouth too. I don't know if you knew that.
2: Yeah, I I mean i i I've heard and. Now, I don't know what's going on inside the one's mouth during an NHL game, but you shouldn't have your fingers there. That's for
3: sure. Uh, yeah, Gatorade and, and water on the bench, and, and I'm sure some phlegm. I actually got in a, a, a fight, and, and I uh, I knocked the guy's front teeth out, and his teeth infected my knuckle to where they had. To, I had to go to the hospital, and they they cleaned it out. I ended up spending seven days in the hospital, losing probably about ten to twelve pounds. That's yeah. A-
2: I, it took me a minute there to comprehend what you were saying, but that sounds awful. Yeah,
3: yeah, so you got to be careful when you're when you're getting bit by human beings uh, about the infection status.
2: Yeah, touche, especially in this day and age with a uh, pandemic going on. Yep. Um, hey, we'll finish it off here with uh, um, I'll propose a bet to you and I know you're hot on the uh, the Calgary Flames bandwagon and, yeah. and your boy wits hot on the Edmonton bandwagon. Um, I'm gonna stick out for my Kings. I'll say that the uh, the uh, the Kings take the season series against the the Calgary Flames, and in return, um, I get to join your podcast, and I'll let you take the other side of that bet. How's that sound?
3: Oh, and I'll take that. And you know, and you know why I like your your chances is because I feel like every time they're they're playing against Sutter, they probably got about a hundred grand on the board uh, to to win the game for the yeah. final.
2: Hey, well, uh, I,
3: I think I, I think uh, I think he definitely pushes the guy's buttons. I heard towards the end of his tenure, they they were having like player only meetings and stuff like that. But hey, whatever it takes to win, and he's got two rings on it.
2: Exactly. So um, I'll leave that the uh, the open side of your bet to figure out what happens if uh, if the Flames win. But um, hopefully, I'll be joining. We'll you return guys. the
3: favor. <laughs> we'll get you on the Chicklets podcast to tell your whole story, pal. Perfect.
2: Hey, I uh, love to do it, and uh, if not, you're coming back here. If uh, if you guys get the dub, uh, either way, hopefully we'll end up on Chiclets someday. But Biz, it's uh, it's been a pleasure,
3: and thanks for joining Trading Jabs, buddy. Keep kicking ass. We'll see you around, buddy.
0: That was Paul Bizanet from Trading Jabs. Now we bring you a conversation with Alex Turcott from The Rain Check, already in progress. Seems like kind of the the way that you just described your relationship with with TJ
5: Tynan, it seems like we have a couple different relationships like that on the team. We talked to Cameron Gonson in one of our last episodes, and he says he kind of has that same type of relationship with Jordan Spence. (laughs) Does it seem like there's a dynamic kind of like that between different pairs of guys on the team?
6: Yeah, I mean, for sure. Like, um, I think for a lot of us, like, like, Spenny and, I think, Gonser room together on the road as well. So, like, Tynes and I room together. So, it's just kind of funny. Like, I think maybe they did that on purpose. But, um, yeah, it definitely keeps it light in the room, too. Um, and it's always funny because the age gaps, too. Right. So, like, example, I'll send some stuff to Tynes, like, something I think it's funny on Instagram. And he'll just, like, reply, like, dude, like, what's wrong with you or something like that? Or, like, dude, you're so dumb. <laughs> and uh, I love it. It's so funny, and um, it's kind of like a relationship. We just kind of jab at each other a little bit, but um, yeah, I think a few guys, like like you said, Gonser and Spenny. Um, I know I sit next to Ferky and dudes in the locker room, and they room together too on the road too. So they they uh, have some funny funny comments with each other too. So, um, but I think that's huge for our team and why. Um, we're all really close off the ice and I think that's helping us on the ice too.
1: Obviously another big, big piece of the team is, is your head coach and, uh, you've known Robo for a while. Have you seen any change at all? I, I mean, I'm sure he's seen changes in you as you grown up, but for him, as he's learned and, and moved up a little bit, like what have you noticed that's maybe a little different about him?
6: Yeah. I think the biggest thing for me is, uh, like he's obviously like the same person and, um, you know like we we still do a lot of the same drills that I did in juniors so like <laughs> it's kind of funny some guys are always, always asking me sometimes about what drills we're doing or just the the names of the drills we kind of laugh at it sometimes but um like i think the great thing about robo is like he's still the same way um how how i how he was with us in juniors i think maybe he's just more intense now but i guess that makes sense cuz we're pros and like you're getting paid to do it and when we were junior players like obviously that wasn't the case we're still in high school so um just the intensity I think it's brought up to another level and it's great because it pushes us to uh, be prepared every day and um I mean I think you need that intensity to kind of get things done and and get results and uh get better so
1: the other thing is there is there is that age gap so you know how do you see him working maybe a little bit differently with some of the younger guys versus you know a Sutzer, a Gonser, a guy who like Ferky, who's who's been in the league and who's had success in the
6: league. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's pretty intense with everyone. Honestly, like he uh, kind of gets his point across the way he sees best fit. So I don't think he is really like uh, I don't I don't know if he's like harder on the younger guys or or anything like that. I think he's just I don't know, pretty much the same maybe he's a little harder on on us younger guys but I, I don't really notice it um, I'm just trying to learn from him and the rest of our coaches and trying to get better every day um, and uh, I know they're just trying to help us get better so that's what's really important how beneficial is
5: it for you um, well I guess not just for you but for a lot of the other younger players on the team uh, to get a chance to work with Robo, someone that you already know, but coming from the national team development program where the goal was to continue developing the young players.
2: Yeah,
6: I think, uh, you know, he uh, gives a lot of responsibility to a lot of us young players. And um, like last year, for example, we had a lot of responsibility and it was a big learning year for us and we took a lot of losses because of it. But I think this year it's helped a lot. Um, like we're all a lot more prepared. We know what to expect. We know how. We need to play, and um, he builds that confidence in us, too. I mean, he might be be hard on some guys, but like I think uh, a lot of guys feel comfortable with playing their game and, and trying to do what they're good at to help the team, and I think Robo is good with that, too, and I think that's a huge part of development is playing the way you're supposed to and playing the way why you got drafted and that sort of thing and not kind of uh, changing your game completely, just... Kind of fine tuning it into what makes you the best possible version of yourself. So,
1: wanted to take you back to a few years ago. Uh, you had to make a decision. You were you're at the NTDP, and uh, Wisconsin was was your next destination. But, um, and I know your dad's probably very influential in in your career. He was a guy who had played in major junior, won a Memorial Cup. Uh, what was it like to kind of go through that process of deciding whether to play? juniors and and whether whether to go to college when when you had someone like that who who has some experience.
6: Yeah. Um I mean I, I think when I was like 13 um I started like learning about the NTDP and kind of um figuring out that what that was and like all the great players that have come through there and I didn't really know what it was ex- exactly but I got to like 14 15 um I kind of understood it more and That was definitely one of my goals was to play on that team. Um, Whether or not I was going to make it, I wasn't quite sure, but I knew from like uh, before that I even got to the tryouts like stage. That's, that's where I wanted to play uh, more so than OHL. It was just, I don't know, like the OHL is a great league too. It's just something about playing for your country. It's pretty special. And um, I just thought for me, like that was my best uh, way to develop and, those practices were really tough. And we had so many sick players. It it was a lot of fun to uh, be around those guys. And I'm still close with so many of them. So I'm happy I went that route. But uh, yeah, it was just more like playing for the U.S. and kind of getting used to practicing that hard and training, I guess, because I mean, you didn't really I didn't really like work out that much before uh, I went to juniors. I don't think many people did. You kind of just skate like twice a day or do like lessons and like skill stuff, but you're not really sure about the weight room stuff. And I think that was huge for me is going there and learning how to train. So um, yeah, my dad wanted me to play there too. So um, fortunately for me, I got, I uh, worked out and um, I made the team and kind of went from there. And then uh, by the time I picked that route, I was planning on going to college anyways. And um, my dad wanted me to go to college as well. My grandpa played college hockey, even though my dad did, Played major junior, my grandpa played college and he was a big part of that decision too. So uh, yeah, I know I was pretty comfortable with it, and that's kind of the route I wanted to go. So your grandfather
5: played at Michigan State, so kinda of in that same, you know, in the Big Ten. But yeah. um, when you go from the the development program to college hockey, aside from the fact that sometimes ages in college hockey can be a little weird, and there's some guys that are gonna be older than than you were at the time. What do you think the biggest like transition was for you going from the, the NTDP to Wisconsin?
6: Yeah, um, I think obviously playing against the older competition. Because um, in the USHL, like we're, we played USHL uh, most most games and then international tournaments against our own age. So um, there's a big difference between playing other 17 and 18-year-olds and playing like someone that's 23, 22. Uh, so I think that was a big thing for me and kind of just like the – the lifestyle too, from juniors to college, took was kind of something that I had to figure out because um, you're not with a billet family, you're not with your parents anymore, and no one's cooking you dinner anymore, and that kind of thing. So, kind of had to figure out like, how to schedule your day, going to classes, and then um, managing that to like all the free time you have as well. So, um, I would say like the lifestyle is probably the biggest thing more so than hockey.
0: That was Alex Turcotte, and if you'd like to hear the rest of that conversation, you can find it and more like it with Jared and Josh as they cover the Ontario rain on the Rain Check podcast. Now here's an excerpt from the latest episode of On the Sly with Jim Fox.
4: Brady Kachuk is on one of the worst teams in the league, and he felt he was standing up for his goaltender. It was a spray of, by no means, I'm just taking this completely down the middle, Lazat makes a stop, a little spray on the goaltender. They're in last place. They've had an off the other. They went through COVID. They're not winning. He goes after Lazat, and that's when Lemieux has to do his thing. Uh, All of those are okay. That's okay. And, again, if you don't have it, and this is not big news to anyone, but if you don't have it, you're not going to win. And they have it. In Brendan Lemieux,
7: I think they have. It. I mean, watching him, you see that kind of player, right?
4: There are there are different ways to be that. What Brendan does have that many other players do not. Meaning, the other ways are finishing checks, blocking shots, one on one battles, winning face offs, uh, looking a guy in the eye in a scrum instead of just backing off. But Brendan can also drop the gloves, and that's one thing that he has. That, for instance, with the Kings group. Maybe be the only guy that is known for that. Hmm. And then you bring it back to last year, it would be McDermott and Lemieux when he joined the team at the end of the year. Nowadays, you basically only have one guy that does that on each team. Some teams probably don't even have that anymore. Yeah. But you have one. Uh, again, just changing of generations. When I played, it was six or seven guys that had that had the ability to really be effective dropping their gloves. And that's why in general, another big picture thing is It's not whether you win the fight or not. It is not. It's whether you get involved in the fight. And that's where your teammates respect you. And there's a whole bunch of things. I'll take it further. And just something I heard. It's happened to me a couple times. It happened to me on the ice with Marty McSorley. And if I can, Marty may have been the best enforcer ever. Because the things he did, Marty would do it at the end of a game when you're up 7-1. Down 7-1, that's normal. Yeah. When you're up 7-1, he would do it. He would go after someone. He's thinking ahead to the next game, to the next series, to the next week. He's thinking ahead. What I'm about to say is very important, and it came up the other day. Marty would tell you. He would show you that he's there to protect you, but he would also tell you. He said, Jim, you get in any trouble whatsoever, you get out of there, and I'm I'm in. Wow. He would tell you that. Alex Ayofalo mentioned the other day. They were talking about Brendan Lemieux. Relatively new to this group. Came in last year. Didn't really, you know, intermingle with the group at that point because of other issues. Had surgery in the offseason. Comes back healthy. Alex said, yes, he's going to stand up for every guy. But it was a little thing. And to me, it hit me right in the heart. He also said, and Brendan will tell you that he'll do that. And to me, that is huge. They prove it on the ice by doing it. But to hear that verbally from your teammate, hey, Alex, you get involved in anything, get your butt out of here, and I've got mine in there, and don't worry about a thing. The confidence in that. That is huge. But again, back to Marty, he would, I mean, I remember being in a game, and someone's, you know, end of a scrum, and I'm looking at Marty, and Marty's, I thought he was looking at me. He was looking through me. (laughs) I'm saying, Marty, no, no, everything's okay, it's good. (laughs) Marty's thinking about the next game. He's thinking about, we've already got the win. Two points are no longer in jeopardy. I'm going to go get that guy. So next time, it doesn't happen. And I think those are the types of things that... The verbalization from your enforcer to tell you that he will, I think that just goes that extra step further. So when it comes to the incident between Lemieux and Kachuk,
7: again, he winds up biting him. He gets suspended for it. And after the game, before the suspension was known clearly... Kachuk answers the questions with the media in the post-game Zoom or maybe it was in the locker room, I don't know. Either way, he's asked about it, and Kachuk says, and I'll give the direct quote here, this is the one time I'm going to answer this, Kachuk said, it was the most gutless thing somebody could ever do. This guy, you can ask any one of his teammates – Nobody ever wants to play with him. Speaking of Lemieux, this is a bad guy and a bad teammate. He focuses on himself all the time. This guy's a joke. He shouldn't be in the league. This guy's gutless. No other team wants him. He's going to keep begging to be in the NHL, but no other team is going to want him. He's an absolute joke, and it goes on from there. So I'll end the quote there. So clearly frustrated. Clearly, at that point, doesn't have a very good relationship, I would imagine, with Lemieux. But afterwards, we found out that Kings players – we're lining up basically to talk to the media and say the exact opposite—that they do like this guy, that they do want to play with this guy.
4: What's your take on that? Well, it just it—it it brings me to the, the contrasting or the use of the word "class," or—and or, maybe that's not even the word he, he uses. Some other words. He being Kachuk. To me, I'm going to summarize it. It appears to me that Kachuk felt what Lemieux did was classless on the ice. I take that to the comments you just read. I believe that was classless of Kachuk to go public with those types of words. He can. He did. That's fine. He's frustrated. Good. Do it. But if you're talking about maybe, again, another phrase, honor among thieves, Kachuk leads the league in penalty minutes. He's no angel here. But to make personal comments about what's going on in another team's locker room, I think that's classless whether they're true or not true. If you play with Brady Kachuk now, are you ever going to talk to him? Because now what you say to him might get out sometime. He's going to he's going to get frustrated again and spew this stuff. Oh, he can you ever trust? He, he's spewing that he should not get involved in this. So I think that was not showing much class by Brady. I understand he was frustrated. I, I know that. And again, he maybe even more than the incident, you know, his team's not going well this year. He has a lot of things on his mind. Having said that, when Brendan Lemieux is down on the ice, he's faced with a decision here, and Kachuk is—you know—they toppled down because they were pulled down, and then one of the lines was involved, and it, it looked like from the NHL video that he bit him. The—I don't have a lot of experience in this at all, although through the hockey, it has happened before. It's not doesn't happen all the time. It's very rare. But another thing also happens, and that's gouging, which is awful. Use of your hands and scratching and clawing. I'm not saying that happened prior to the bite. may have happened after. It just, it's one of those things. I'm going to go to we got Mike Rupp, Sirius XM, NHL Network. Mm-hmm. He was asked about it. And he said, guy puts his hand in my mouth. I can bite him. Oh, yeah. Anything else? No. But if he puts his fingers, I think he said fingers in his mouth, I could. Now, and my friends over the last five days have been, why would he bite him? Well, there are instances where it is a last resort. Don't want it to ever happen again. But I'm just saying there are instances where in hockey, it can be Acceptable. And it's happened. It's happened. Many when I times. hear the, my, myself say the word "acceptable." That's the wrong thing. It's it's something that is again the last resort. It's the last resort you could ever think. So when I hear Mike Rupp say that, who and he said he, Mike Rupp prefaces by he's never been involved in a biting incident himself, but he knew others that were. So, well, and you brought up a
7: fascinating point that it has happened before, and you brought up the name Marty McSorley, and it actually happened in an incident with Marty McSorley. And he's a guy, obviously, who was in the league many years ago. And so it, maybe it plays to what you're just saying, that well, things have
4: changed a little bit over time. Well, again, we're, we're talking about... I think I'm talking about the honor among thieves issue. Right. Kachuk leads the league in penalty minutes. He gets his hand bit. I, I just think, to a certain extent... Brady was trying to come off as this angel in this situation. First of all, he initiated the actual altercation. So he started it. By no means would I ever say, and I'm, it's not acceptable to bite. It's not. But there are some scenarios that you go through. So you take it that far. To me, the comments he made post game so the story you're alluding to, Marty McSorley for years tried to get Eric Lindros to fight. Mm-hmm. Marty's doing his job, going after a big guy, probably trying to take him off the ice. He said, for years it never happened. Finally, they get a chance, they get, and they're, they're going at it. And there's an allegation that Lindros bites McSorley. Brian Burke, who is the vice president in the NHL at the time, in charge of suspensions, which nowadays would be player safety. Back then it was not. Basically, kind of holding a hearing. You take as much and gather as much information as you can. And part of that was a conversation with Marty. He calls Marty up. Marty, you know, we're about to throw the book at Lindros here, but I need you to tell me you're the last guy here. You need to tell me he bit you. We have some evidence, but we don't have that definitive video evidence that, you know, absolutely shows it. So we need you just to corroborate linesmen, officials, what happened. And Marty says, well, you know, he kind of hesitates. You know, I don't know what I should do. here. And then so Burke asked him again, second time. Marty's he and Han. And so Brian Burke finally asked Marty a third time. Marty, if we're going to do our jobs here and get this done and really punish and suspend Eric Lindros, I need you to tell me that he bit you. And Marty's answer was, he did not bite me. But you can send a message to Bobby Clark, then the general manager of the Hmm. Philadelphia Flyers, that he owes me one. So there, as odd as it may sound, to me that's honor among thieves. Marty knows he's not an angel here. Even though in this instance, he's the guy that has been injured, so to speak. He doesn't take it out of school. He keeps it in school. And I think that's where when Brady made the comments he did publicly, I've heard that type of chirping on the ice from many times over the years. Ah, yeah, no one likes you, but, uh, you know, what's going on, all those types. You've heard that many times. Uh, but well, th- to let go me public you. with that, I, I, I just, does it take away from what Lemieux did? Maybe not.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Although, again, I think there are times where like Mike Mike was talking about when you you get hands in the mouth, then there's because now you're 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 gouging and you're all that type of stuff. Again, I don't think there's video evidence that happened in the Kachuk Lemieux thing. I don't think that's a the linesmen were so much on top of people that we couldn't really see what's going on. So I'm not all I'm saying the potential is there for that and that with the lead. So, but then to go public later, uh, it just I just. I just wish he hadn't done that.
0: That was Jim Fox and Rob Brender from On the Sly with Jim Fox. Hope you enjoyed the episode and the opportunity to hear a sample of the other shows we're producing. And if you did enjoy it, well, you're in luck because Trade and Jabs, The Rain Check, and On the Sly will keep bringing you new episodes as the season goes on. I'm Jesse Kahn from everybody at the LA Kings. Thanks for listening and more importantly, for being Kings fans. We'll talk to you soon.